In 2014, San Francisco State University published a study about the perceived value between spending and happiness. And what the study showed was that spending money on life experiences had a much higher long-term value than spending the same money on objects. Oddly enough, though, even though the participants understood and agreed that experiences are better than objects as far as dollar value goes, they grossly underestimated the value of an experience before doing it. It's like the experience couldn't be quantified to a dollar figure. The report suggests that objects, being tangible things, are easy to hold up and say, this cost me this much money, whereas memories are difficult to attach to an actual dollar value. You wouldn't say, you know, look, I hiked to this falls and it cost me this much money. But when all is said and done, the study showed that we will receive a higher value from life experiences than we will from objects of equal dollar value. So even those experiences that are uncomfortable in the moment, they provide a learning opportunity, or at least an anecdotal story that we can share with our friends and connect with people. And that is fulfillment. And I really didn't want to kill it, but I also really didn't want it on me. So, so we had this like hour-long standoff. Stand with this huntsman spider. They're very fast. They are so fast. <laughs> and when it started climbing up the wall towards the where we were going to sleep. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Alan Carl. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schmutz. Brett Tack. Zoe Cannell. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Russ. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Said Simon. Elizabeth Martin. And I'm Jim Martin, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're out exploring the world. Visit them at cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Puget Sound Safety Off-Road, or PSSOR, provides world-class motorcycle training. Learn proper off-road riding techniques from the pros at PSSOR for your dirt bike, dual sport, or large adventure bike, and increase your skill and confidence so you're ready to tackle your next adventure. Visit www.pssor.com. That's www.pssor.com. You know, as so often happens in life, we get caught up in what society expects from us. You get a good education, you get a good job, you buy a house, you have the right furniture, clothes, gadgets, and, and whatnot. 
we're expected to live our life in a normal, quote-unquote, way. And in Western culture, if you don't have the big house and the fancy cars and everything that goes along with it, including the debt and the stress, well, you just aren't living. We think we need or want those things, and we think that they'll make us happy. But as studies have shown, like I said at the start of this episode, life experience actually makes you happier in the long run than acquiring material things. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go and sell off all your possessions and and run off an adventure. But it is something to think about when you're spending your money. But the experiences that you have are not only for you, you turn them into anecdotal stories and you share them with other people. And it connects you with people. Issa and Nita Brabish, who are coming up next, they felt that something was missing in their life. And they began to see their material things not being fulfilling in themselves, but they saw them as a means to fulfill their life by liquidating them and turning them into life experience. And after some planning, they left on a trip which would become an education in life for them. They haven't rushed from place to place. They've taken time to experience the people, the cultures. Issa and Nita feel that time spent in one place, or at least taking their time as they went through places, had far more value than rushing through a bunch of places and checking off a checklist and putting notches on their belt. And as Nita says, not worrying about getting from A to Z in an allotted time, but just meandering from A to D. Hey, my name's Nita Brabish. Um... I was originally born in Regina, Saskatchewan, but my heritage is Vietnamese, um, and I am a designer. And I'm Issa Brabish. I was born in Margate, Kent in the UK to Libyan and British parents, and uh, I'm a writer. Issa and Nita, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you Thank for, you for having, having us. us. Your website's called uh, welovemotogeo.com, and yes. um, what does that mean? We just love traveling. We love traveling by motorcycles. So we had this idea that um, moto and geo was kind of interesting uh, as a word. And Geos so, and geography. Yeah. And so we uh, put it together. Uh, and that seemed like a great idea <laughs> until we got to Italy, where uh, we would hand people our little things Cards. that we give people that we meet. And they were like, oh, we love moto geo. So fantastic. <laughs> and so we were like, oh. That's sure, Motogeo, that works too. <laughs> Motogeo works as well. So it's pronounced many different ways, but that's basically the gist of it. It's <laughs> motorcycle and travel. Well, you guys used to be normal people, I would say, and, and, <laughs> and, and work normal jobs, you know, like a lot of people do. But somewhere along the line, everything went wrong. You threw everything away and you jumped on your <laughs> motorcycle right. and, and took off around the world. So let's talk first about what you were doing before this whole thing started. Um, so I was, um, basically dabbling in, in a few different things. I, um, I'd lived in New York for quite some time, almost 11 years and, and, um, started into the graphic design and, and imaging world there, but also was, had started riding motorcycles there and dabbling in a bunch of creative kind of projects. And, uh, when I moved back to Calgary in 2006, I basically just continued doing those same things. So um, creatively, I was making jewelry and selling it to some shops here in Calgary and also um, handmaking and designing wedding invitations. Yeah, and I worked uh, an office job uh, basically with creatives, so a lot of designers. Um, and we created uh, photography and illustration type that we sold into ad agencies. Uh, so we, it was a pretty like straight office job, um, cubicle kind of world. 
but we dealt with a creative audience, which was fun for us. When we ended up getting bought by a, a fairly sizable U.S. corporation, and at that point, the, uh, the enjoyment level definitely decreased. It become it became more uh, a little more more like work. So uh, at that point, um, we thought about changing our path as far as what we were doing. I think basically, though, we we did love what we did. You know, yep. there wasn't anything that like we we dreaded going into on a daily basis. I think um, the travel was just something that was always another interest for us. Well, that's what I'm saying when I, I say you, you know you were normal people and tongue in cheek. <laughs> of course, you were. You were you were doing what most people do. You were going to work and you're coming home and you're living your life. And and I yeah. guess you guys were riding on weekends. Yeah, yeah, we would ride whenever we could. So. We did take some longer trips, though. I mean, it wasn't just weekends. We would definitely, you know, take a couple weeks here and there. Um, actually, Issa's motorcycle is originally from New York, and that was kind of the first longer trip that we took. We went to basically pick it up and ride it home. And I think after that, we just continued to do longer loops, and then um, and then we, we did an eight-week journey that surrounded our wedding. So down into California and uh, Arizona and back up. And it just, every time we did those longer trips, they just kind of kept getting longer. And we just, you know, I think that was the bug that kicked in right there. Were there other things as you're going along? I mean, was there some sort of catalyst there, somebody's trip you saw that made you feel like you want to go? Yeah, I mean, you know, we... We talked about it. (laughs) There there were uh, quite a few, but... um, you know, obviously, I think everybody on the planet, from what we can tell, saw a long way round. So we saw yeah. that and we were like, you know, that seems pretty awesome. That was, you know, we enjoyed that. Uh, and I think the thing I really appreciate about that more than anything is that it introduced me to the world of, you know, Chris Scott and Ted Simon and all these other guys and girls, lowest price and just amazing, uh, amazing people who seemed fairly normal that we're going out and just trying to do things uh, that they wanted to do. Uh, And I think we really appreciate that idea that you don't have to be some supernatural human being to go out and and travel by motorcycle. In fact, you just need to want to do it. And I think that's the thing we really appreciate about it. And the traveling has been done beyond motorcycling in so many other different ways overland. And I think that was just for us the the perfect tool. We wanted to do it on motorcycles, and then to see that people were starting to do that, you know. And it's it's not like we couldn't have traveled in other ways, but yeah, the motorcycling definitely was um, inspired by, I'd say, some of the early on uh, people that were paving paths for us. Dreaming about a motorcycle trip and actually doing it, I think, are two completely different things. There's a big leap yeah. there, you know, leaving your jobs that you you knew and your paychecks coming in, and and your you know your your accounts are getting balanced. To all of a sudden, this sort of step into the abyss. How did you do that? <laughs> um, Slowly and with <laughs> determination. Yeah, yeah. It was fairly methodical, actually. Yeah. I think the way we got past some of the the nerves with doing it was just by making a process out of it. Honestly, yeah. it was like, okay, you know, like six months ahead, we have to start getting shots and, yeah. uh, and, you know, start selling things, you know, that here and there to, to, to make some money for the trip. And we're selling everything, we're selling everything, but I think it started with just like odds and ends. And then, I mean, you have to work your way up to trying to sell your car and your house and, 
and thinking about things like that, bigger things that those kind of more secure kind of things. And I think that is the that's the the gap that was hard to bridge at first. It was just getting past this idea that we had to have all this stuff. Otherwise, we lost this this sort of this safety net like we yeah. that we had you know had built and so uh, or imagined was there. And so uh, when you it's funny when you, we started selling things, it just it actually just snowballed. Yeah. Like you started getting kind of a Excited kick out of selling it, yeah. all these things. It was a bit liberating going like I really don't need this. Like let's yeah. get rid of this and that's going to buy us, you know, x amount of time on the road just traveling and seeing the world. And so it actually did like we had planned to to prep for about a year and I think that that was a good way to get ourselves our heads into it was going, okay, well, we're going to give ourselves a good cushion time. But eventually, I mean, six months in even, I think we were just like, oh, we can't, we can't wait anymore. Like this just, the, the more waiting, the more thinking, the more processing, it's just like, let's just go. And we thought, you know what, it's never going to be perfect in your mind. You have to just go at some point and deal with the challenges as, as you go through them kind of thing. Yeah. You mentioned safety net, then you said that you imagined you had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like to be, you know, Calgary is going through a pretty rough time right now. We, I've never been involved in oil and gas, but there are a lot of people here that are going through a really hard time. Yeah, losing their jobs. Um, and, and, you know, the reality is, is like, you know, houses are a singular investment and, you know, all this stuff. If a lot of people live outside their means at, at, at some point. You know the idea of security and everything we have is, is you know a bit of an illusion uh, to some extent. So, I think we need to uh, we needed to just uh, kind of get past this idea that everything we own is is in some way going to protect us from from something later that may possibly happen, whether or not it ever does. And I think like even as we talked to people while we were traveling, you know, a lot of people were like, "Oh, I wish I could do that." Uh, and you know, the reality is, is, you know, some, some, you know, there's a lot of people that can't for whatever reason, but there are a lot of people that want to do what they can. It's just whether or not they want to adjust the way they, uh, the way they, they're living. Yeah. And, uh, and for us, that was the, that was the realization. The realization was that, you know, we're never going to be able to do this if we want the life that we're living here. Yeah. You know, the only way we're going to achieve this dream of travel is by being okay with letting go of what we have here. For us, that was what we had to for, do. Yeah, that's, you know, you know there's it's people not prescriptive. Out there that can travel for years and and, and also maintain a, a home and, and you know, maybe a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but for us, um, it had to become home on the road yeah. kind of thing. So We associate with our things too, don't we? I mean, you know, you, you picture yourself as this person with this house and this car and, and all these possessions, and, and that's difficult to part with. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. I mean, you know, uh, with a corporate job, you know, the salary was pretty good and we were, you know, pretty happy buying things and, and feeling good about the stuff we had. And, but, you know, like I, I've written about before is there's, I had this nagging feeling that I yeah. was kind of doing it wrong, yeah. you know, uh, that by, you know, this weird acquisition idea yeah. was, you know, it was just not the way I, it wasn't true to who I was or we were, it was just a bit 
a bit off with it's, with yeah. you know and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that people can yeah you know buy things and and you know if they find happiness right. in objects and all that that's totally cool it's just you for know us, i think it for was us different. Yeah. something felt a bit off like maybe it was filling the filling a gap it's like you want something that's so big out there you're kind of unsure if that you can reach it so to kind of almost pacify that that want um you st- you know you just kind of get these other things that kind of make you happy in a day but instead of i think once we started letting go of that stuff and reach getting slowly closer to reaching the goal that we wanted that 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 far reach is like wow we don't actually yeah these now letting these things go is getting us closer to that ultimate goal that dream so that actually became what was filling maybe any kind of like empty moments or where we're like wondering or uncertain of what we want in our lives. And once that just started happening, it just, everything just kind of came together. And as you mentioned, Issa, not everyone wants to do that and not everyone will, or even has the desire to do it. And I think absolutely, even when you're talking with people and they say, Oh, I, you know, I wish I could do that. I think that wishing you could do that and really wanting to do something huge. They're different. Yeah, completely different, you know? And so, I mean, for, for a lot of people, you know, a couple of weeks off each year, that's great. That gives them the adventure and then the, the weekends or whatever you guys are on that extreme, but it's interesting to look at these extremes because I think yeah. it sort of opens up people's minds to what's possible and, and sort of shakes things up and says, hey, life doesn't have to be necessarily the way you're looking at it right now. Absolutely. It was funny. I was in a conversation with somebody just before we left, uh, a guy in the U.S., and and he his question at some point was, you know, like, is, is long, long-term travel really just showing off? And I, I was, like, totally taken aback by it because it hadn't even Registered entered my that. mind that that... that was a possibility of, of the way it could be perceived or that it could be the intent for this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I, I have an opinion about it. I, I definitely don't, you know, I think it's entirely dependent on your personality, the person who's doing yeah. it. You know, I, I think for us, the intent wasn't, wasn't to show off or to sort of put something out there as, you know, an expectation for other people. I think it was really just something deep inside of us that challenge, we needed yeah. to, to try to do. And we, you know, our goal was never clearly defined. Like we never sort of went into this going, ah, this is going to be a circumnavigation of the planet or, you know, we're going to break a world record or that was never the intent. The intent was purely to travel, to meet people, to try food, experience cultures, be in places that we're not familiar with, uh, to feel displaced. That was really the goal. It was, it was about travel, uh, more than, 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 uh, you know, whatever the achievement could be perceived as later, I guess. I think some people see in social media, I mean, there's a lot of postings of people that are traveling and and doing things, and and it does get pretty glamorous, and and, um, I can understand why somebody, you know, thinks that that possibly uh, it could be connected with showing off. Also, I mean, I guess because we like to post things, everyone does, really, in their life. Um, I guess when you're doing something different, like what you're doing and what you have done, it may be perceived differently. But when you started the trip, how did you picture your whole social media or your website? Was that a big part of your plan? <laughs> well, actually, what's funny about that is when we had started doing longer trips, um, our, we, we started our website solely to make sure our parents weren't scared every night. <laughs> so we could keep them in the loop of where we were, 
talk to them every now and then kind of, we were writing for them at first. And also I think just keeping a log for ourselves of, um, our experiences and, and how we felt. Um, and it just kind of, again, it just kind of became something bigger. Um, when we, when we finally decided to do the, the larger trip, the world trip, um, we kind of looked at our blog and we thought, well, we're, we're obviously going to continue to write something and to, to share things and to hopefully inspire. And how do we, we just have this tool now. It just kind of built itself because we started sharing with our families. And so now it was just basically taking it to a bigger audience, you know, and, and using it more as an inspirational tool for other people to want to do what we were doing um, rather than just keeping our parents happy. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, the interesting thing with us, I think is that, uh, we have tried with a blog, especially to not necessarily make it too motorcycle centric. Like we really wanted to write about our experiences and that we happen to travel by motorcycle, uh, which is something we love to do. Um, and so uh, the goal was to, to write, you know, about write experientially, uh, you know, we would comment on the, the roads we would take and the conditions and, and, you know, sort of how interesting the route would be, but it was part of the narrative, not the entire narrative. Yeah. So it was important for us to capture, you know, what we were feeling and what we were seeing, uh, over the course of the day. Yeah. We don't want to just inspire motorcyclists. We want to just inspire travel, just people to travel. And we wanted to make sure that when someone came to our site, they didn't immediately go, Oh, they're on bikes. I can't do that. You know, we wanted to go, well, no, we're, we're also, you know, getting on a train every now and then. And we're also dealing with all the same challenges that you would if you were in, on, in any other vehicle. What was the big plan to begin with? Uh, at one point, you guys said something about when it became a round-the-world trip. How did it start out? I think the goal was, well, there, <laughs> there was a bit of an end goal uh, in that, you know, my brother uh, was planning on getting married. And he had moved to Brisbane. And so the idea of writing to my brother's wedding was uh, kind of exciting. Kind of exciting. Uh, and so the, the route loosely took us from Calgary to Australia. Unfortunately, um, after we had gone through Europe and North Africa and then back up to the Arctic, my brother had th- – their plan changed by about a year. Uh, so uh, uh, to our detriment, so – we had to uh, at some point figure out how to get to Australia quickly and maybe work our way back. Um, so, which, you know, provided some comic relief yeah. while we were in Poland. Yep. But um, yeah, no, it was, uh, so the, originally the, the idea was simply just to make her, well, not simply, but was to make her way to, uh, to Brisbane. Yeah. But it also, um, it was also a time thing. Like we had originally, thought, you know, how, how long do we think we can stay on the road? We, we didn't really know. It could be a year, two years. And um, and so we thought, well, let's just, you know, because we do like to move slowly. Not too slowly, unfortunately, because we did have the wedding thing, but as slow as we could and just see as much as we can in however amount of time that we can do it in. And I think that at first, that two years, we were like, okay, well, we could make it to this wedding and everything. And we had ended up leasing our house to a family from the Netherlands um, who decided they wanted it for four years. And so suddenly the trip became two to four years 
for basically as long as, you know, in as many places we could see kind of thing. So but in it was reality, pretty open-ended. In reality, it was just until the money ran out. Yeah, it was until the money ran out. <laughs> so what do you do for money? Uh, when we were on the road, we did some freelance work here and there, uh, mostly remote stuff. So, you know, we're both able to work on our laptops. So yeah, but what, mostly whatever we it could was, pick up. But really, it was a lot of it was just what, what we, we saved. sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, from what we sold. You mean your possessions? Yeah. yeah. So you're traveling around and you're you're spending your possessions as you go. Does, <laughs> Basically, does that yeah. worry you? The thought of coming back and I mean, obviously you still had your house there, which is great. I mean, that's that's the the number one yeah. thing, isn't it? But you still come back to to having nothing. And really, and both of you had mentioned about the about a career. You sort of walked away from that, and you're sort of back at ground zero. Was that a concern? <laughs> yeah, there was. I definitely had Probably moments. I than, definitely had moments of yeah. concern because we still had the house, so. Uh, you know, depending on what happened here uh, with the uh, with the people who were leasing it, uh, there was a bit. Uh, you know, there was some some anxiety around that. Uh, if they had to leave during or break the lease while we were on the road, like all those kinds of things. You know, every once in a while, I would have a sleepless night, which yeah. which is unfortunate. But uh, uh, there is kind of a something fun about a week in you know Vietnam and going like, oh, a week in Vietnam is you know like. Uh, uh, you know, this lamp or it's, you know, um, three weeks is a television, you know, it's <laughs> like you're able to equate like <laughs> your time and experience to something that's like, you know, that yeah. TV that was in the basement that I only used like once every, you know, two months yeah. is now like three weeks or, you know, more a month in, in, in a lot of places. I actually think we got over that so much, like pretty quick. I mean, I'm, I've always been used to kind of, I've moved around a lot in my life. So I, and I'd kind of had to start a life again uh, uh, many times. So I kind of feel like it was, it's something that I'd done before. So I wasn't so too concerned. It's like, I I know that I can get a job, you know, I know that it, it might not be a career kind of job, but I can get a job. And, and I don't know, after traveling around the world and, you know, for two years or three years, like, I think that at that point, any job would seem awesome. It would just be like, you know, to, to, to know that I traded it for those amazing experiences. You know, I think, so we got, I think we got over that pretty quick. I don't feel like we were too concerned all the time. When did you leave? In July, 2012. Yes. 2012. And now you're back? We're back for now. Yeah, we're back for now. We, <laughs> Interesting way of answering. Yeah. <laughs> Isa had uh, mentioned that we had kind of a little, um, well, a big wrench thrown in the works in, in Australia. And that was uh, Isa's bike had had basically arrived with a seized engine off the ship. To this day, we have no idea why, but it, it took a, basically a, a full top-end rebuild. Top-end rebuild. So to six get weeks it going. and nothing in Australia is cheap, and It's but very awesome. expensive. Luckily, we were able to jump and just like do some some awesome like train travel and stuff in in Asia which was was helpful to save the cost but ultimately because of that and uh the cost that went along with fixing the bike we had to end the trip so for now so you, you so you fly back home you you're coming back basically you're going to make some more money and then is the plan to head out again yep yep <laughs> Yeah, the next stretch we're thinking about is is kind of the it's like the new modern hippie trail. It's like uh, it's you know the top of North America to the tip of South America. I love it. It's like uh, we have so many friends that are either doing it right now or they're planning on doing it in the next year or two. Uh, and 
I'm kind of enjoying this idea of weaving a route without having to ship the bikes. That's one thing. And not That's having a to huge carry cost, a, yeah. and not having to carry a carnet, which is also nice. But uh, I like this idea of weaving a trip with people that we um, that we know. So um, meeting up with them here and there is uh, is really exciting. Yeah. And I think also like for me, I'm I would be very, very excited to get over to Mongolia at some point. I think that probably would have been something we would have continued to do if if things didn't kind of go south a bit in no in pun Australia. intended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um in Australia. So yeah, I think it's it's kinda interesting because we actually it feels like we came back to sell the rest of the stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> we're we're in the house now, um, because of again the the couple that were living here. We we never intended to be back in the house. From even when we came back off the trip, we never intended to be back because they were supposed to be here for another year and a half. And they had recently, because of the economy in Calgary, both lost their jobs here and had to break the lease. So Issa and I kind of scrambled and, and, you know, deep discussion. We thought, well, we, we have no choice now. We have to kind of figure out a way to make this work and go back into the house for a little while until the market kind of comes up again. And we're basically flipping our own house so that we can continue traveling. Yeah. So the idea of letting things go hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> so your house is up for sale now? It's not yet. But no, it will be. It will be. But that's though. what you're planning. Yeah, right. the market's pretty, I, I think it would be a, a bad choice for us to put it on the market right now. But there's also quite a bit of work that needs to get done inside it, I think. Um, and so we're, we're kind of doing, trying to do that ourselves. So... You didn't come back from being on the road with a feeling of, oh no, look what we've done. We've got nothing now but our house and now we need to nest in and we need to build up again. In fact, you, you came back just completely the opposite of saying, <laughs> we got to get rid of this thing so we yeah. can get some more cash for the road. Where does that come from? Uh, it's, it's funny. Um, like like uh, when I was younger, my mom and I had this brief period of homelessness where we were taken in by people that were very kind. And Daniel Renz, the filmmaker, uh, has kind of become a very good friend. And uh, we were talking one day about that experience. And he he said, you know, it's it's strange that you would be willing to get rid of of all this stuff, like the security, when you've had that experience when you were younger. It seems like you would you would want to hold on to all this stuff. When I think about it rationally, uh, that that sort of like idea makes sense. But I think right now we just see a lot of this stuff as sort of holding us back from from what we want to do and what yeah. we think is where we belong. You know, there was a lot of anxiety. I don't want to underestimate how much anxiety there was uh, at the beginning. Um, but everything once we were on the road, everything really made sense. Like it really made sense to get on the bike every day and travel in a direction and not necessarily end up at where we started. And just to do that day after day after day. For me, it felt entirely natural. It's like one of the first times in my life where I felt like that is actually what I'm supposed to do is just to yeah. move in a direction or and, and end up somewhere new every day. Yeah. And so coming home has been fantastic, but I don't feel necessarily tied to to being here or tied to the house anymore. I feel like we can do something more interesting with the money that we were to get out of here 
uh, as far as building a home or, 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 or making a place our home, uh, you know, I think the choices we would make now are different than we would have made, you know, seven years ago when we got this place. So, and also the reasons for being here now are different. Like for, for us, the focus is the people. Um, yeah. It's our families, you know, it's like we, even though we can say that maybe in some people's eyes, we'd been irresponsible for a little while, just running off to the world, but we do still have responsibilities. And I'd much rather that be focused on the people that we have basically here rather than the things that we have here. So it's like the time that we're here right now, it's like we need to make sure that our, you know, families are still healthy and, and happy and, and that we're, we're still a part of their lives as well, you yeah. know, and that they're part of ours, that that's important. We're just not cutting ties and running away basically. Um, and also just having some time here to just reflect on, on the trip that we have had. Um, I think that when you do go, 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 go so continuously like that, there you're, we're human, we're inevitably going to get tired and physically run down and mentally run down. And that, that can take away from the journey itself because you're not, you're just not seeing it through the fresh eyes that you had when you started. Yeah. Your experiences aren't as rich, you know, perhaps you're you're missing things that you would have seen before. So I think just having some downtime also for that is really important before we head off again. Did you find that while you were on your trip? Were there times where you just sort of thought, I'd like to be at home? <laughs> I don't know if it was about More feeling stillness. at home. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it was about like mental quiet or even just physical quiet. Like uh, there's, you know, we finished in Indonesia and we were traveling uh, from Bali towards Jakarta during Aid, which is like, you know, I think it's like the second or third biggest human migration on the planet. There's 30, 30 million people traveling sort of in the direction you're going. And uh, and basically, you know, like as soon as Aid starts, it's a it's a huge you know, celebration. And so it's just fireworks and you there's know, not and, a moment of quiet. So there's no quiet. And it's like this amazing thing to be a part of. And I think it was the first time we were in something that we knew should be amazing. And we were just like, All so we tired. <laughs> we're just so tired. And so, uh, we didn't enjoy it as much as we felt we should be enjoying yeah. it. And I think that was a, a, a tip for us, a clue that maybe we needed to take a little bit of time and, uh, and, you know, I mean, we enjoyed it as much as we could, but we were, we were quite exhausted uh, by the time we got to Jakarta. Stay with us. We got a lot more to talk about with Isa and Nita in just a minute. The best way to ride is to make riding your easiest, fastest way to get from A to B. Simply everyday commuting and errands, long distance, adventure riding, or whatever. And for 33 years, Aerostitch has been designing, making, and selling equipment that makes riding anywhere, in all weather, easier, safer, more comfortable, and more fun. No Other Rider's Gear offers the proven protection, precise fit, and lifelong value of Aerostitch. So you can prove it to yourself with a Ride More guarantee if you try any Aerostitch one-piece R3 or Roadcrafter Classic Suit for one month, and you're not riding more than you did before you received it, then you send it back and you can get a full refund. But something tells me you're not going to bother sending it back because you're going to fall in love with the Aerostitch quality. It's www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. Make sure you put that forward slash ARR in so they know where it came from. Look, today I want to um, point out something I've been looking at online here. I've been looking at the pants, really. I need a, a new set of pants. And um, the pants, the ultimate pants, I would like at this point are a, a pair of Aerostitch pants. I've been looking at the AD1 pants. 
and comparing them to the Darien. I, I think I told you about the Darien a, a few episodes ago, but I wanted to point this out because this is uh, an indication of arrow stitch quality. Okay, when you read the description, you click on actually this the little link on there for for more um, additional information is what it is on the uh, uh, a comparison of the Darien versus AD1 pants. So it goes on to say about the difference between the pants. One of the things that I noticed right off is the belt that it comes with. It's one of their travel belts. It's a money belt is what it is. And that's included. That's part of the pants. But one of the other things I noticed right off the bat is that the knees are bent a couple of degrees more. And it says, which is nice for bikes with a little more rear position footrest. So if you're riding like a, an F800 compared to a, a KLR, this can make a difference. It's this kind of detail that really gets me. It, when you put this much detail into pants, you know that somebody is into riding. They take it very seriously and it's high quality. As I mentioned before, the arrow stitch quality, I think, is second to none. It's amazing stuff. Drop by their website, www.arrowstitch.com forward slash ARR. And when you go there, make, anytime you're dealing with arrow stitch, make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio so they know where we're coming from. And by going to forward slash ARR and letting them know you're from Adventure Rider Radio, you're going to get either 10% off on your first purchase, or if you're a return customer, you're going to get free shipping. Uh, I think it's in the United States. But think about that 10% off as a new customer. If you're buying a full suit, 10% off a full suit is a good chunk of money. Drop by aerostitch.com forward slash ARR and let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. There's no doubt that after you travel for a while, it becomes your life, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. more than just a, a two-week thing. When it's when it's so open-ended, it becomes what you do and who you are. So as you mentioned, getting up and going to a different place, that is what you do at that point. Yeah. yeah. Is there a point when that magic, and, and you just mentioned a point there, but is there a point in the trip where the magic sort of just fades away from that? And uh, let, me, let me give it a better example. Sure. You know, if you, if, you, if you bought a house, and maybe it wasn't the greatest house, and you lived there for a while, it seems fantastic when you moved in but once you're there for a while you start to get a little aggravated because when it rains that <laughs> that sunroof drips and you know and the, and the faucets drip and that toilet doesn't flush properly and all those little things that 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 are wrong tend to stand out a little more if you let them mm-hmm. yeah did you find that when you were traveling uh, mm. I don't, no <laughs> i don't think we got to it that was, point actually it was it was kind of interesting right i like, think it yeah. was always again it always had to do actually I would like to say there was a during some of the time where we didn't even have the bikes because Issa's bike was being fixed. We didn't we were traveling in other ways. There actually there was there were moments there where it felt more um, like yes exhausting, and it was because when you get to a place and maybe you're you're not liking it or it's not turned out what you, you to be what you'd hoped, you can't just get on your bike and leave. It's like you now you got to get on the plane or you've already booked to this thing and, and blah, or blah, train. blah, or the train. You have to wait for the train to get you out of there. And there was moments where we thought, you know, if we had our bikes right now, we wouldn't be feeling this way. And it, I think it's just because you have a little bit more of control of what, what you do when you travel, while you're traveling. No, it's I, just a bit of freedom, really, isn't it? I, yeah. think, I think part of the way that you can... The, mo- the riding, traveling by bike, motorcycle helps with or that. Or vehicle of your own, yeah. Is that you, you have, there's a level of freedom and independence that, that sometimes, you know, if, if you're dependent on trains or planes or, you know, drivers or whatever it is, however people choose to travel, 
you lose a little bit of that, like, you know what, this place isn't doing it for me. Let's move on. Uh, you know, that's sort of like, or there's this place that's really interesting. I just want to get there. But, you know, it might be difficult to get to that place if you're not under your own power. Yeah. And so it becomes a logistical effort rather than just like, hey, let's get on the bikes and go. And I think in those situations, it was more, uh, a little more sort of like, oh, the the roof is leaking again. Yeah, then, exactly. Then when we right. were with the bikes, when we were with the bikes, I don't honestly feel like we really no. had that like roof is leaking thing, yeah. even though it is like every day it's the thing. And you begin to kind of enjoy the things that might annoy you. Yeah. In fact, like we found anyway, like we, you know, like if a day was like just pouring, we learned to kind of really enjoy those days because the roads tended to be a bit quieter or, or whatever, you know, it was like, you'd find joy in these little, these little things that were, were harder than maybe you would have hoped. But. And, and if you have the time to be able to say, well, it's raining, so let's just hang here for two days. That to me, that's the magic. Like it's having that freedom to be able to just say, no, we'll just hang here you know, let it blow over or enjoy it for what it is rather than going, oh, we got it. We have to get, we have to get from A to B today because we have to make that plane ride or train ride kind of thing. So I think you really nailed it really well there saying about the bike, because that is one of the things, at least about a motorcycle, that, that freedom. I mean, I guess you could say it any sort of travel, but we, we know the, the value of the motorcycle, the openness and the, and the approachability that the motorcycle has, but, but that's so true, isn't it? I mean, because you could be stuck somewhere and and obviously you were, and just not even that feeling of being able to get on the bike and say, I'm going to ride 10 kilometers down the road and I'm going to camp somewhere and into a new spot. Yeah. Yeah. And just see what's there. Like maybe there's something around this corner. And that's the other thing I love about, you know, and I'm not a, yeah, I don't care what people ride. Like it's like whatever you ride is great. Uh, But the one thing I do like about like dual sport bikes or adventure bikes is like you see a road uh, that's pretty gnarly and you go, all right, let's just try it. Let's just see what's up there. And I mean, time after time, we would see something that was kind of interesting, go down that route and just see something amazing. And I, I, I just, I, I love that part of having, having a bike that I can take anywhere. And I can't emphasize enough about time too. I mean, you know, a lot of people kind of give themselves these kind of deadlines where it's like, I'm going to do this to this in, in, you know, two weeks. And it's like, it's fine. And if people set out to do, do it that way, then it's more power to them. But if you have that time to be able to say, I'm going to go down that road. And if my bike breaks down, it's not going to freak me out because I, I'll, then I'll just deal with it. Or if I go down that road and it ends up being too bad, I'll turn around and come back. Even if it takes me another hundred miles, a different direction, having, having any kind of real time restraints definitely is also, so like, so the leaky roof, I would say, equates for us to things like having deadlines or time issues or Issa's bike arriving with a seized engine. You know, it's like those things were the basically the leaky roofs. You know, it wasn't like being on the road and and seeing the world and traveling by motorcycle. It was it was all those little other little things that kind of maybe held us back from doing it the way we wanted to rather than doing the trip itself. And I would say too, that, uh, like, cause I, you know, people have time constraints and that's, you know, we, that's we do life, as well. Yeah. Our time constraint is, is based around how much cash we have in the bank account. Yeah. Um, but, uh, we, I can honestly say that we found, uh, when we had to rush somewhere to meet people or, or something. do something somewhere or whatever, those were the times when stuff ended up 
invariably happening. Like the yeah. bike would break down or, you know, or, you know, someone would have a crash or you get detained as spies or whatever. whatever. Like it was one of those things. It's like whenever you're rushing or whenever yeah. we were rushing, it really felt like that's when things kind of started to go sideways. Yeah. And then as soon as we started to slow down, things just kind out. of evened out. Yeah. 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 I would rather um, travel less distance in more time than more distance in less time. I was just thinking of Graham Field uh, when we were recording our ARR Raw show. That's one of the things that he brought up was traveling less distance, you know, and, and experiencing more in yeah. that time because you can get on your bike and you can ride, yes. you know, real fast. I mean, you guys can do the Alaska to Ushuaia, you know, in no time at all, yeah. uh, like a Nick Sanders run, yeah. or you can go really, really slow. And like you say, I mean, open-ended, Nita, you know, if, it, if it's open-ended, yeah. you can experience what you want when you want exactly. and, and really you know, take, get the most out of, I guess, every place that you go to. Yeah. Not everybody has that, that option. No, exactly. absolutely not. But I think, I think there's something to be said about, again, going, if I only have two weeks, I don't have to go from A to Z. I'm just going to go from A to D, you know, and really kind of really just make a great experience in the time that I have. Right. There's a guy uh, from New York. He's a doctor that we met and he has this, like the ugliest, monster Ducati monster I've ever seen it's amazing it's so great though it's like uh it's been I don't know it's got huge travel on it it's a total dirt bike he's made out of this old monster uh and what he does is he'll travel he'll take two weeks or a week here and he'll travel uh just as far as he feels like traveling in that week or two weeks and then he'll park his bike somewhere and and then go back to work do whatever it is he's doing and then he'll go back and pick up the bike travel another week or two here and there and he's just you know, he's traveled for a huge amount of uh, distance. And then in Italy, we met a guy, Marcello Carucci, who he's traveled over a million miles. He's a school teacher. He's traveled over a million miles on his bike, uh, Honda. And he just does it on summer break. And he has had, he's had so many amazing adventures. I think this year, this past year, he was down in the Sudan and he's just done amazing stuff with the time that he has. And you yeah. can do that. Uh, you know, I think, Sometimes we think it has to be like Prudhoe Bay to Ushuaia in the two weeks or three weeks that I have, which is, it, you know, it's it's a huge ask. And if anything goes wrong, it's gonna it's gonna throw a wrench in the works and sort of perhaps you know diminish the the journey. Whereas if you go like in the two weeks that I have, I'm gonna do Calgary to uh, Prudhoe Bay and back, yeah. and the next two weeks I have, I'm gonna get down to the tip of Baja or yeah. whatever, you know. You can have a pretty grand adventure yeah. without having to, you know, tons of time. And then you realize, too, that those wrenches in the works are actually part of the adventure. Yeah. It's not something that's keeping you from doing what you want to be doing. It's like, well, that's part of it. You know, you're doing this this amazing thing. You're taking your bike onto these roads that you're probably going to hit, um, you know, a sharp rock and get a flat tire. Like, that's kind of part of why we do it, you know. So I think you just enjoy the ups and downs if you have the time or if you give yourself the time or create that kind of an experience within that time. Yeah. It's easy to get caught up in though, because we, we all get caught up in numbers and accomplishments. And when you hear people talk about, you know, they're going to do something. If someone tells you they're going to go for their two week vacation and they're only going, you know, uh, I don't know, 500 <laughs> kilometers, you sort of look at them and go, okay. I mean, most people will, right? Uh, yeah. They'll look yeah. at them and think, okay, well, what are you going to experience there? Because clearly you need to accomplish distance. You need to, uh, you need to get to new places to experience yeah. anything, which, which is not necessarily the case. 
No, we no. need to all get over that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, well, that's, I mean, imagine posting on social media there. Look where, you know, where I went today. I was three blocks from the house. Wow, was that amazing. Well, that, and that's why I think when even well, with depends. our... depends. If I you think, want to go in a block. Yeah. <laughs> That even with our blog, like that's why it's important for us to not focus on where, like the distance or the road. It's more important for us to figure to to just talk about what we did in a day, you know, the people that we came across and how that made us feel, or or again the the bumps in the roads and stuff like that, rather than always focusing on kind of like I made it to so and so, you know, today. It's like it's not about that. So I think I think I don't know. Well, it's it's, for some, but- I think it's just how you tell the story, how you choose to to tell your story. And for us, it's, it's inspiring people to just not maybe focus so much on, on those big numbers kind of thing. What's changed for you guys in yourselves from when you left to when you come back? What changes have you had um, just to the experience of travel? <laughs> it's, a, it's such a good question. There's so many... Yeah. So many things. Well, I mean, let's face it. Before you left, you kept that house, and and I'm I'm assuming here, and I'm imagining that you kept that house. It's it's just, it's security. Maybe it's difficult to sell. I don't know, but it's security. It's some place to come back to. It's it's sort of a constant, isn't it? But now you come back and you're ready to throw that to the wind, and so there's been a change. Actually, I would like to say that we had originally wanted to sell the house the first time we left. And again, it's just because the the economy in Calgary has been so up and down that it just happened to be at that time when we left, it was also just a really bad decision. And we had a friend that pulled us aside and said, I've done a corporate lease with my house. You should try this because, you know, if you try to sell right now, it's just going to be crazy for you. So again, I, we were already actually ready like we'd never planned on on having the house to come back into, um, so I don't know. Kind of hard to say. Like I think just you know, there's there's a lot of things that are are different about us. I think one of the things um, that I like the most that's changed in me is you know I like to be the guy who puts out his hand to shake somebody else's hand. Now it's like I I'm much more open and willing to to talk to someone that I don't know or just to have a conversation, you know, with with somebody who looks interesting or, you know, if as we went to someplace, we went to Vanuatu and when we were in Vanuatu, um, you know, there's the usual people that are like trying to, you know, there's the um, amazing, amazing country, but there's the, you know, the usual people that are trying to sell you like a tour or whatever. And before we went on this journey, like I might have found that like, you know, kind of annoying, like that, that people are trying to push something on me is kind of the approach you would have taken to it. And I think, you, you know, when you travel and you see the world, your eyes open to, to the position that people are in and the, the, the things yeah. that they're going through and, and what they need to do. And whereas before I might've just been like, no, thanks. And, and kind of kept on. Now we kind of like, we talk to people, we talk to people and see what's going on in their world. And, and just, we're, we're really different that way. Yeah. I think now it's just, I'm interested in people. I'm more interested in people and the people who are around me and the people we don't know yeah. than I've ever been in my life. I think it it's it, awareness, you know, it's it's just how how aware we are now of the rest of the world and and our place in it or who we want to be within it. I think is the biggest kind of change for us. Yeah, and I just want to be more kind, I think. At the end of the day, that's that's one of the things that's that's big for both of us is I think we just came out of this thinking 
you know, there's plenty of room to be more kind to the people around us. We all just really want the same things at the end of the day. I mean, everywhere you go, we, we just go about it different ways or it comes easier to some people than to others, you know, but at the end of the day, we, we all just want, need a good meal and to make sure our families are safe and that we're kind of doing what our souls want to do, you know, or, and that, you know, I think that just brings us all closer together. Like we're, we're so much more alike. And I think seeking the similarities in the people and places that you travel to that are so different is what kind of allows you to see, you know, what's, I don't know, to really appreciate, I guess, what's different. Isa, what do you mean, be more kind? Well, you know... You're a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a jerk. So before I left, I was a total jerk. And now I'm less of a total jerk. Uh, No, I I think that, uh, you know, there is room to be more kind, less judgmental. There's, for instance, I, (laughs) I was once taking the ferry from Vancouver to Vancouver Island. And this, there's an old guy who pulled up next to me and I could tell he wanted to talk. And this is when I was 18. So no judgment, please. Um, <laughs> but I was like, I'm going to pretend I'm asleep so I don't have to talk to this guy. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I thought of that thought crossed my mind for a moment. And, uh, and I ended up not doing that and talking to this guy and, uh, we had a fantastic conversation, uh, and, and got to spend a really interesting, you know, hour, hour and a half together, uh, that left him, I think, feeling, uh, you know, more relevant. I think, you know, I definitely got that feeling from him and it left me feeling enriched entirely. Uh, and, and I think it's too easy at times to just not put yourself out there and to show someone just, a you know, the smallest kindness, whether it's just listening to them talk for a few minutes or helping them find their way or, you know, buying someone a cup of coffee who's got a, a story to tell that wants to tell you a story. It, it really doesn't take much, you know. And I think what I saw, like on our trip, we had people, you know, Nita's had a heart condition her whole life. And, and in Morocco, in the Rift Mountains, her heart went bananas and she couldn't control it anymore. And we got taken in by an amazing family. Uh, that had pretty much nothing, but uh, could not have been more generous and kind to us. And uh, it's just a theme that repeats over and over when and over again yeah. when you're traveling is that people, especially I think by motorcycle, because people see you as vulnerable, um, you know, people constantly with varying degrees of of wealth and social status, whatever, you know, they treat you uh, with a real kindness uh, and generosity. So giving that back, I think. So I think getting back, yeah, getting back here, it's important to us to make sure that we're paying that forward uh, in spades because we were very fortunate in some situations uh, during our journey uh, just by the kindness of others. So, yeah. And there's something to learn, isn't there, when you speak to someone? Everyone has something. You know, even when you think they, they have nothing to offer you, they've got something for you to learn. And then you make uh, another connection through it. And you'd mentioned that that guy that you spoke to on the ferry felt more significant for it. That's part of We all do. We all do when we make a connection. All of a sudden, we have a friend. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to take a short break to talk about Giant Loop. And when we come back, Issa and Nita are going to tell us about being held captive by a spider in their own room. 
GiantLoopMoto.com. When you go there, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. The page I want you to go to is go to GiantLoopMoto.com and click on the link that says The Big Idea. It's only a couple of paragraphs there, but it really tells you what Giant Loop is all about. First of all, Giant Loop is well known for extremely high quality bags. Um, and they say on here, the saddlebags have made hundreds of trips with riders under the most demanding conditions. Now, I told you before about how I know for testing, they're loading these bags up and they're literally beating them to death to find out where they fail and what goes wrong with them so they can improve them long before they get to market. So when you buy something from Giant Loop, you know it has been thrashed and bashed. You're not going to try it and find out there's some sort of design flaw partway into it. But they have an interesting thing on here. They talk about they've been out for 10 days self-supported camping trips and they have yet to find themselves wanting for more space and stuff. They're saying typically riders stop for fuel and food almost every day. And once you pair your motorcycle kit down to the essentials, that's really what you need. You know, less is more sort of thing. Their motto is go fast, go light, go far. Amazing bags, extremely durable. If you want something that you're going to keep probably for life, Drop by Giant Loop and check out their bags. Giant Loop is also the exclusive North American importer for Rally Raid products. That's turning your CB500 into the lightest, lowest seat height, dirt-capable twin-cylinder adventure bike on the market. I'll give you an idea of the quality of the kits. Honda Canada has purchased at least one, possibly two, and put them on uh, a motorcycle that they're touring around to all the shows, showing people what you can do with the CB500. If Honda Canada is buying the kit, it's got to be a good kit. So drop by their website. Anytime you're buying anything from them, use the promo code ARR, you know, for Adventure Rider Radio. That way they know where it comes from. And if you're in the U.S., that's going to get you free shipping on your products. GiantLoopMoto.com. Does it ever worry you that... As you get older, things may become more difficult and that some of what you're doing now, you're traveling and selling everything off, is going to have an effect on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like if you're honest, then, then yeah, there's, you know, I'm, uh, I'm getting older. He is getting older. And I think it gets, there's definitely, uh, you know, some things to worry about with that. When I got back, I, I think when we left, I was like, oh, I can always just get a job. And we got back. The economy was terrible here. And so there was definitely a worry about whether or not I'd be employable after having been away for two and a half, three years. And it was a little more difficult than I thought it would be. And so, I mean, there are some some realities about it that, you know, I think it's, it's important to talk about as well uh, when you do long-term travel. But, you know, it wasn't, I think... There were some people that thought that, you know, my time away ha- was detrimental to my career. And I think there were a lot more people who thought my travel, including myself, that thought my travel gave yeah. me perspective on the things that I was doing before that made me more valuable. And I think those are people that I'm more interested in working with. So I think, you know, as far as the financial situation and all that, I think there's just you have to be somewhat smart about getting back with enough in the coffers to to get something going again. Yeah. Uh, or you could be like the Swiss guy that we met who had like a, a real estate empire before he left on his 10 year journey. So, which was kind of interesting to talk to as well. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not really into that. I, you know, I think we do better with just what we need rather than, than, than excess. And that's not to say that we're not planning something like we're, I think it's maybe just that we're not, we're not old enough or 
in pain enough yet to, to feel like we're at that point where we have to figure that out now. I think that we trust that we will, we'll know that, that we'll need to do that. And we are kind of still thinking about that in the back of our minds. But as of right now, we, we still, I think, have the ability to kind of be a little bit more uh, free about it. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you have left to do as far as travel goes? South America, Gosh, Mongolia. Mongolia. <laughs> so yeah, so much. And and I think that's once you get the once you get the travel bug and you actually start seeing the world. I mean, I think originally in my mind I would think, oh, I'll just go there and then I'll know that I've done that. Whereas it was actually, I'll go there and now I know there's so much more I need to see over there. Yeah, we kind of felt <laughs> you know, that way. it was like, yeah. and so. <laughs> Yeah, I, there's honestly there's places I think that we would even want to revisit and and take more time through and oh, yeah. you know I feel like this uh, it sounds crazy but this first maybe the first run was kind of a trial run too in some ways to just um, figure out where where we connect with the most and and places again like that we'd like to revisit. You mentioned before about doing a little bit of work while you're on the road. Is there is there a thought into how you can turn the travel into a money maker? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't really question. think about that? I think if you were to search That's the internet, everybody's thinking about that. And it's, it's, it is. It's huge on people's mind because the ultimate is doing something that you love to do. Clearly, you love this because you're sort of giving up a lot for it. You, you love it. And if you can make a living doing it, wow. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that every everybody that has kind of done what we're doing or similar is thinking that, you know, and I think... I think at this point, we just go, well, everybody's thinking it. Can we all just make some communal, like... <laughs> you think, it's really funny because we'll we'll get together and it'll be like, you know, Neville Stowe, Michelle Stowe. <clears throat> yeah. And like, uh, Jeremy you know, Craker. Jeremy Craker. Like a bunch of us, like the Canmore folks and the Calgary folks. We'll get together and, you know, we'll be having a great time. And everybody at some point will kind of look at one another and go like, oh, so have you figured out a way to make money yeah, out of this? Yeah, how are we doing you know? this? Are we doing this? Like, <laughs> Yeah, so it's 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 kind of fun to to dream up ideas about how to make a living by traveling yeah uh, i don't know if any of us have it figured out though no not yet <laughs> we'll let you know <laughs> yeah that would be good it would make a show in itself i think yeah <laughs> for sure let's talk about some of the places you've been to and some of the highlights that you've seen but i want to start off with you'd mentioned about about um nita's heart and and dealing with that, and I think what you wrote to me um, for before we did this interview was Nita's heart exploded in Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, sh- I said I think I'm reading this. Okay, it says Nita's heart exploded in Morocco. We were, <laughs> so let's talk about that. It's a bit embellished, but it's funny. <laughs> Not, Not funny. really. It wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> funny now. It's funny oh, now. hindsight. Yeah, yeah it's funny always now. funny now. Yeah. So Nita has uh, had a or has a syndrome called Wolf Parkinson White syndrome, and uh, which basically is like a short circuit in your heart. Uh, and when you get stressed or your body's under duress or whatever, uh, it can kick into a full-on tachycardia, which just is like beating out of control, out of sync. So um, we've been dealing with some real heat, and we'd also been dealing with uh, a fairly uh, nutrient. Yeah, light (laughs) diet uh, for a little bit. And uh, so as we were getting ready to, we were also under a bit of stress because we were trying to get back to Germany to meet some folks. Um, And we wanted to get to Morocco before it got, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so we wanted to get back to, we wanted to get 
through Morocco before um, uh, before it got too hot, uh, and it was already the temperatures were already creeping up. And so what ended up happening was the day that we were supposed to leave for Morocco, uh, Nita's heart uh, she had a full on tachycardia. In Spain. Uh, yeah, in Spain, while we were uh, we were going to go get the ferry, and so actually we were at the ferry terminal to get uh, to get tickets, and I turned around and Nita was on the ground in a full on flop sweat, uh, could could barely hold herself up. We put her in a taxi, got her to a hospital, uh, which transferred us to a better hospital, uh, where she had a, a heart team work on her for for hours. Uh, trying to figure out how to, you know, sort of quell this tachycardia. And uh, after a, a day of this, you know, t- 24 hours, she was finally good. We got her back to uh, a hotel. And in our infinite, you know, <laughs> hopeful, whimsical way, we were like, okay, well, let's just go get our new ferry ticket and uh, go tomorrow. And so we went to Morocco the next day after all of this. And, uh, a lot happened in Morocco, which was hilarious because we thought it was the uh, it is the easiest country in North Africa probably to travel. Yeah. Um, but through a series of unfortunate events, I got detained as a spy at the border in Malia, which was another story. Um, then got really bad food poisoning in Beni Ansar. By the time we got to the Rift Mountains, there had been enough stress and the heat was kicking in that we had gone up this really gnarly route, which was. We took oh, a wrong turn. Which would have been fun. Yes. Um, but uh, fun. kind of Nita's heart just started to to go off. And so at the top of this pass. Um, I went we, into full tachycardia. And we spent two hours there. Uh, there wasn't really, it didn't seem like there was anybody around. But um, as usually happens when you're on these kinds of things. People came out of nowhere. and uh, so I we, had people offering me heart medication. <laughs> That we in, couldn't identify. That I couldn't identify <laughs> and that I, of course, really actually couldn't understand. So it was all charades at that point. But, uh, you know, so it was it was pretty – it was an interesting time because we have people coming out to try to help so much. And we couldn't be more thankful and grateful for that. But at the same time, uh, that was in itself a bit of drama. So it was a little – some at times it was actually adding to the stress um, that I that was having on my heart, um, but uh, basically a, a family did end up taking us in and, and spoon feeding me kind of back to a place where I could get back on the bike, and then back into at least a town where I could get to a pharmacy and, and kind of take care of some stuff. So um, yeah, that was what what should have probably been a really relaxed, easy North. African, you know, tour ended up probably being some of the hardest time that we had. Yeah. So you ended up getting heart surgery. I did. Yeah. We came back. Um, <laughs> well, first we, you rode to the Arctic. <laughs> first we rode to the Arctic <laughs> and then I ended up, yeah, I have, I had an amazing um, heart doctor here that I've had my whole life and she was incredible as soon, like I basically made a phone call and she said, I'll book you in as, like the month that you get back, which is unheard of for that kind of procedure. And um, yeah, I, and I had this procedure done that I think um, I obviously was afraid to have for a long time in my life. And, and, but it basically was, it was heart surgery or no more traveling. Um, because I would, wasn't going to be able to handle those certain conditions and I couldn't be putting ESA through that 
as well. So heart surgery it was, and it was the best thing I'd ever done. I mean, I, yeah, I'm like, why didn't I do that sooner? (laughs) You know? And now you're good. Now I'm good. I mean, I, you know, if I do have any kind of um, issues, it stems from more kind of, I guess, regular things, you know, diet. So if, you know, sometimes just like a regular person, too much caffeine, or if you eat something that's too salty or things like that, I still have to kind of watch because I just don't like the way it makes me feel anymore. It reminds me of the problems that I had. Um, But other than that, um, yeah, I I don't think that I'll ever have to be concerned that my heart will explode (laughs) in any part of the world anytime soon. So I thought it was interesting when I read it because I'd never heard of that happening before in someone living through (laughs) it. So (laughs) I thought this is a story I have to hear. (laughs) Yeah. You've had other experiences while you're on your adventure. And you know, there's one thing with this show, we don't like to focus on, you know, the negative parts because yeah, no, that is true. what a lot of what people do. You know, I've had people say about people posting, always posting the photographs of the, of the bike being stuck in the mud or how difficult it is. Exactly. But travel, you know, according to everyone who does it is not like that. I mean, that's the no, very, very small parts, but it is the thing that sticks in our mind and, and adversity yes. does make memories. It's just no doubt about it. Yeah. So, I mean, you've had some experience. You mentioned you were detained as a spy in, in Morocco. Nita's heart exploded in Morocco. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I guess minor things like your, your brother changing the wedding date. But tell me about fighting spiders in uh, Australia. Oh, no, they were like giant Oh, I'm sorry, giant spiders. No, no, in Australia. Oh, the giant spider. Oh, yeah. the huntsman. It's so funny because it's like, it, you know, if you're from Australia, this is like, it's like a daddy long legs, you know. It's like, but for us, we're just not used to spiders that big and we were just we were like watching a movie on our laptop uh, and, there it was. and Nita was arachnophobic before Australia <laughs> she's not anymore she's completely cured no. <laughs> um, but, no. unless but it, it's bigger than my fist now I think I'm alright yeah <laughs> we uh, we were just watching this like a movie on the laptop and it just crawled out we both looked down to our left and there was just this thing running at high speed towards my foot it was yeah and uh and i really didn't want to kill it but i also really didn't want it on me <laughs> so so we had this like hour long standoff Stand with this huntsman spider they're very fast they are so fast <laughs> and when it started climbing up the wall towards the where we were going to sleep we uh, started throw. We had some like chocolate bars. Yeah. We just started throwing chocolate bars at it to get it off the wall, which only made it angry. And uh, so it made a beeline for the door. Then I tried to open the door, but the door hit it, and so it came back into the room that we were in. And uh, at the end of it, I just ended up finding like a poster roll, and I apologized profusely. And then he basically tapped it, and it exploded. Yeah. That word again exploded. This time it actually did explode. And it was And I felt terrible instantly. Because I like but... spiders. I think spiders are incredibly useful. But I don't like the idea of spiders sleeping with me. And everybody tells you about them. They are I mean, everybody will warn you. But until you see one crawl out. I mean if you love spiders, shocking. you would have been in it would have been uh it would have been a heavenly experience, but for us it was not. Yeah. <laughs> now this is a, a highly poisonous spider, I imagine. No, 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 no. Huntsmans <laughs> are not are highly the friendliest, poisonous. Like, they're like incredibly they're like useful. The giant. They're incredibly useful, not poisonous. Um they're not like the redbacks in Australia and, and the the funnel web spider at all. 
so it was a totally ridiculous response to it, but uh, it was. But ever that all it was the response. I'm afraid. And the red bat is the one that you have to watch for. It's much smaller, um, but yeah. It's like the Black Widow here. You made the reference to the Daddy Long Leg Spider, which, which is really a benign, almost endearing spider that you see. It really is. Almost like little kids will pick them up and put them on their hands. So I can imagine the scene. You got a couple of Canadians in Australia, you know, cowering and and being stuck in their room oh, because the spider has you cornered. It must it, have been yes. a difficult situation. But it was it the was, size of my hand. It was, I'm sure it was. And it was hairy, and it was fast. Right. And, yeah, it's all those. That's a bad combination for an arachnophobe. <laughs> <laughs> Nita, you'd mentioned places that you that you said that you guys would even go back to. What places would you want to go back to? I was saying that Laos was was somewhere that I would love to revisit because it was it's very different from what we experienced in a lot of the rest of Southeast Asia. It's a lot quieter, more serene, and and we just like the people really really beautiful and the land was really beautiful. Um, but we didn't get a huge amount of time there, so that's one place. But um, I definitely, honestly, I think there's a place in every country, a continent we've been to that we wouldn't at least just want to kind of just try again. You know, there was, there's always a road that you wanted to turn down that you didn't. <laughs> You'd kind of like to see again. We'd like to, I'd like to have spent more time in Australia. Um, we did uh, a fair amount. Uh, we did Eastern Australia from Brisbane South and then, uh, and then all the way across to Perth up through the outback. But um, there's uh, the Kimberleys. We didn't make it to, up in the uh, northwest, northwest yeah. um, which I'd really like to do, and head up towards Darwin. I'd love to love to head up there. Uh, and Norway, there's so much more there that I'd like to see. It's just so prohibitively expensive for us that yeah. uh, it, it was. We had to kind of really pick and choose what we were going to do in Norway. Unfortunately, but uh, what's expensive? Fuel or accommodations or everything? Everything. 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 We, we, I, I ordered a, a Corona, just a bottle of Corona, uh, at 18. somewhere. It was like eighteen Canadian dollars, dollars or nineteen yeah. Canadian dollars for the bottle. Uh, fuel was expensive. Uh, we ended up meeting a, a family who who uh, we had a conversation with one night, and they just. Made, they just introduced us to the world of moonshine because alcohol is so expensive. <laughs> they just they just make their own. So so they literally bought it out in a jerry can and mixed it up with some Red Bull and fruit juice. Yeah. And uh, we had a, a lovely drink and conversation. And you let them taste it first, though. <laughs> I mean, when you say a jerry can, are you talking about a gas can? They brought out a gas can with fuel in it and tell you, here, we're going to get stoned? Yeah, That's right. That's <laughs> pretty, much, pretty much what it was like. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. But uh, they were lovely. It was hilarious. Actually, Issa, Issa tells me that, like, because I wasn't there at the time, but he went to basically shoot the glass. And they, like, the whole table erupted. No! don't do it you know and he was just like whoa okay i guess that's some strong moonshine they're like you have to mix it yeah. it's really intense <laughs> did you make it to china we did not no we no. did not we uh that's part of what we want to do after yeah. south america so after south america we'd like to do um the route that kind of makes sense for us after south america is sub-saharan africa which would be great uh but we'd also like to at some point go um go uh, to Russia and yeah, Mongolia. China, Mongolia, mm -hmm. do that route. If we do that and end up in Vienna, then it's a circumnavigation. So. Yeah. You mentioned your R1200GS was seized after being on the ship. So is that how you're shipping your bike back and forth? You're doing it always by ship? 
Freight, yeah, we did freight the whole time. When we started, uh, air freight was still like really expensive, but it's come down a lot now. And one of the things that people don't talk about a whole lot uh, when they're shipping bikes is it can, you can get shipping your bike down uh, by freight to a fairly low cost, uh, but that doesn't eliminate port fees and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when we got to Australia, uh, Queensland in general is highly regulated and quite expensive. And so Brisbane port fees were $1,500 when we got there. That was a bit of a surprise for us. Uh, and the other thing was uh, port fees when you're shipping your bike or the fees to ship your bike out of Australia are also quite high. So if you start taking port fees into account, shipping by air actually begins to make more sense. more sense. And also the fact that you're waiting, you can be waiting for weeks for your, your bike yeah. to show up. Yeah, we just did a, an episode on shipping your bike, and the same, same thing was said. Grant Johnson was on talking about that, and the port fees are apparently uh, quite substantial. And then you've got to wait all that time, too. How long did it take to yeah. get your bikes across? So actually, from so what ended up happening uh, with my brother's wedding and then also with, with uh, coming back down from the Arctic Circle, uh, we shipped our bikes from Southampton. They ended up getting picked up. And shipped from Southampton. Uh, so from Southampton to Australia, it was eight weeks by by boat. That's a long time of waiting and staying somewhere else. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we Nita had to come yeah, back for that, her surgery anyway, so we, that was we the flew back. Time, and, so that worked out really well because I needed six weeks anyways um, for recovery before I could get back on the bike. So. Yeah, that, that worked out perfectly. But if you don't have heart surgery, it's quite a long time. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? That doesn't seem like a long time, six weeks before you're getting back on the bike after heart surgery. Well, it's different now, right? I mean, it's not, for for my uh, issue, it, it up until I would say Whatever. 15 yeah. years ago, it was open heart surgery. And now it's, um, they do an ablation procedure where they go in with catheters um, and basically try to, to get rid of the issue that way. So the healing time is a lot less. Um, it's more just like you can't lift heavy things. It's, it was about six weeks of, of not being able to kind of lift anything or, or move too much. But uh, it's, it's amazing these days how that procedure is done. So yeah. if anyone has that heart issue, I definitely recommend just going for it. It's incredible. <laughs> With the seized engine, you said you didn't find out what had caused it. Do you suspect it's something to do with the ship? Was it wet or? No. Well, we it was uh, um, bed exhaust valves on the bike. Uh, so when they took um, the the cylinder heads off, there was a lot of carbon buildup, and so we suspect just some really bad fuel somewhere along the way. Yeah. Um, Maybe just before you you packaged it up, then yeah, yeah. basically shutting it off to a seize sort of thing. Yeah, like you know, the 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 mechanic we were working with, his hypothesis was just there was carbon bouncing around in there. Uh, it probably broke loose in shipping, and then when we tried to start up the bike, it just did the damage. Because uh, when we started up the bike, uh, when I tried to start it up, it wouldn't start. They got it to turn over, but uh, they started losing compression. There was zero compression in one cylinder, and the other cylinder just lost compression progressively until it was totally seized. So. When you're prepping for the trip way back uh, at the start, did you buy new bikes? Um, how did you go about getting your gear? Um, I wanted to get a R1200, uh, but they were kind of hard to get here uh, because they were mostly spoken for um, and used ones. There weren't very many used ones. We could only afford a used bike. 
And so we have a friend who runs a mo- or owns a motorcycle parking garage in New York City. And so he has guys who buy bikes and just leave them there. They never use them. And so he has a gift of convincing people to part with these bikes that they never <laughs> use. And uh, and so he... Usually he buys them, but usually, this time. Yeah. And so he got... Uh, the heat, there was a guy there who wanted to get rid of his R1200 at a pretty good price uh, for us. And so Basically new, and yeah. so it was just a matter of going down, picking it up, and then importing it. And we figured if we're going to do that, then we should just ride it across and, and have some fun while we're doing that. And then we got back. Uh, we had had sport bikes before that. And I think we both realized how nice the riding position was on, a, on that kind of bike. And so we sold Nita's bike and got her... Uh, F650 GS, uh, and never look back. Yeah, basically. And they've both been good. You're satisfied with your choice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, other, you know, obviously there's, there's the, you know, it's a pretty big bike and when they're loaded, they're pretty heavy. So, you know, there's certain spots, like obviously going into like some desert areas and stuff where it just, we couldn't even go. It would be more fun on a small bike. Yeah, we would be more fun on a small bike. But for the most part, we've been able to go everywhere with them. So they've been incredible. I think yep. I think it was Austin Vince who said you'll you'll never get out there and say that um, I, I wish I had, had a bigger, a bigger bike, bike, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. it's funny. Like I like I love that guy, and I'm pretty sure he would hate almost everything we do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but. You know, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. Like you, yeah. when you're picking a bike up, you never wish for a bigger, heavier bike. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that being said, they were the bikes we had, yeah. and uh, I and never we, wished we didn't have our bikes. Yeah, I love those bikes. Yeah. Love them. Yeah. But and, and as far as packing goes, you guys have a fair bit of gear on there. You run them with um, the hard panniers. You've got bags yeah. on top of your panniers, and then bags on top of your your yep. back seat. Do you ever yep. think that that's too much? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it always, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it. That's kind of you know you were talking about how we had changed. I mean, I think we're always changing, right? So they were they were really big when we left. We thought they weren't because we had all the stuff that we sold, and so we're like, wow, look at all this. This is all we have left. But then you start traveling, you go, wow, I still have too much. And I feel like that's the constant. It's like you constantly find yourself saying, I don't need that. You know what's funny is after two and a half years, we were still like just getting rid of stuff yeah. off of the bikes. Yeah. Like, like there's stuff now that I just would never ride with yeah, on my totally. bikes. But still uh, learning. You're always learning. There's you're. We tend to prepare for uh, any eventuality, and you, it's really a process of getting over that. Yeah. We were laughing because you know, like uh, when we were in some of these countries. Like in Asia and in, in in Southeast Asia and in in Africa, North Africa, you know, when over here when we talk about uh, you know prepare for the worst, it's like we think of gear, right? It's like what gear do I need sure, to prepare for sure. the worst? And in a lot of those places, it's a, a state of mind. So it's yeah. like if you go out and you expect to get from A to B in the time that your map suggests that you're going to get there, and you don't get there, then we tend to get upset about that. Whereas if they get there in the time that a map suggests, they're like overjoyed. And so there's like this idea of, of, you know, sort of calming your expectations and yeah. making the journey uh, more, more enjoyable. Yeah. And so one of the things uh, that resonated with me for sure was, you know, stop preparing for everything and just, just kind of prepare for what 
how you'll deal with yeah, the situation you're, when you're in it. Yeah. That's more important. It's more important. <laughs> Change your mindset rather yeah. than, than your kit. Yeah. You'll never, ex- you'll never be perfectly prepared for anything. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Try to answer it honestly. Is there anything? <laughs> is there anything? And not that you can't. Don't get me wrong. Maybe that came out <laughs> wrong. But is there anything that you took with you that you brought back and didn't use and thought, wow. Why the heck did I bring that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, some tech stuff, like like gimmicky kind of tech stuff that we okay. never... Well, we had like a huge bag of wires for things. Oh, that, the wire bag is frustrating. You know, and other things <laughs> that we just kind of went like, okay, we actually... We only need one of those wires, to, you know, or, or let's look for one that works with everything kind of thing. Like you end up just packing everything you have. Um Definitely like gear and clothes even like going, well, you know, I don't need six layers. I just need two of these type of layers, you know, and just figuring out how that whole gear kit works as well is is a learning curve, you know. Um, I think we, it's just figuring out things that you can like going from single use items, items or single yeah. to, to multi like multi use. Yeah. We just got to a point where it's like if, if you're carrying something that doesn't do more than one job, yeah, then you don't need yeah. to be carrying it. So yeah. like I had a bead breaker and I'm sure, you know, a lot of research went into this thing, but at the end of the day, I just, I never used it. And then when I did go to use it, the, the tire irons didn't fit into it properly. Uh, we had to do a repair actually for somebody else. Um, but there's just a lot of things like that with a little bit more effort, you won't need to carry or lug this piece of kit around the world with, uh, with you. So we really, it really came down to how many uses does this piece of kit serve? Yeah. So, you know, if it's too great, if it's more, even better. Mm-hmm. And like Grant Johnson always says, uh, you know, when you're going into these places, I think the mindset is usually that we think that we need to take everything with us. But when you get there, you realize there's other people there and they're riding motorcycles and there's, yeah, they like, actually live. Yeah, you can get, you can get it. You can yeah. buy stuff. You can buy food. Yep. I mean, one of his examples was somebody who left for South America, I think, with loaded up with freeze dried food. And he's thinking, come on, there's, yeah. there's people there. They're eating. <laughs> we we had freeze dried food. We had quite a but, bit But it's of tough it. though, isn't it? Because if you think of your, your uh, clothing, for instance, and you're going to go somewhere and you know that you can get winter clothing there, but there's some stuff that you want of your own. You might have a merino yeah. wool sweater or something you really like. Yeah. It's those comforts. It's no, it's like the, it's still, it, I think it's just this constant of letting go, like the letting go of that comfort zone. You know, it's like it first it's your four walls and then it's like your layers that you're wearing or your clothes or something, or, and, or like you said, like just knowing that you can just get it somewhere. It's fine. But there is something about having that thing that's been yours, that kind of sense of home. But again, like we, letting go of that sense is... We met two guys that were carrying a spare rear suspension for both of their yeah. F-100s while we were on the road. And we're like, okay. Like, it, you know, it's it, it goes the full gamut. Like people will carry... Or their own pillow, like a big regular size pillow from home. They're like, I just have to have my pillow. And you're like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's some things if you're willing to sacrifice for, I, I guess that's good. But really, Isa, if you had planned a little better, you could have brought the parts you needed for your engine and you, and you would have been set. <laughs> or a new you're heart. Absolutely right. I could have brought a new heart. That's really there you go. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if that's re- really a, a, a thought process there. But tell me about a, a guy in pink pants that saved you. Oh, my God. Well, so we'd like sorted our visas for everywhere. And, uh, and I'm a, I was born in Britain, so I, I have a, a UK passport, 
but I didn't carry it with me. And so we sorted our visas for everywhere else uh, that we were traveling or had a strategy at least around them. Mm-hmm. And I totally did not pay attention to Europe at all because it's so easy to travel around. Uh, and, and so we had spent quite a lot of time in Europe and uh, in, in the interim had also gone down to North Africa and then come back up, which ended up partly saving us as well. But basically when we got to Poland, uh, this lady sent us an email and was like, hi, you know, like my, uh, my boyfriend and I are from the U S and we're, we're interested in knowing how you're able to spend so much time in Europe. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, Curious. well, that's strange. <laughs> and so, uh, my interpretation of, uh, 90 days, every 180 days had been per country when in fact it's part of the Schengen zone. So we had overstayed our visas by f- five months. Uh, in Europe, so uh, sorry, Europe. <laughs> sorry, oh, Europe. I just I'm just catching on to what you're saying here. I, <laughs> I get it. So this person <laughs> noticed this from your blog and emailed in and said, "Hey, how do yeah. you pull this off?" Yeah, yeah. And, and we're like, "What do you mean, pull it off?" And the answer is pure ignorance. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, we um, we realized that we had to now get out of Europe uh, and cut short sort of our plan, which was to go through uh, Romania. Uh, for a little bit. And so, uh, anyway, long story short, we decided to finish up what we were, what we had, uh, planned to do in the Shenzhen zone. Uh, and then, and then, uh, ship the bikes out of Austria to Southampton to get them to Australia. Australia. Uh, and then fly out of Vienna. Unfortunately, Vienna is one of the tougher customs, customs immigration airports in Europe, apparently. And so we were quite nervous about leaving. Uh, you know, I figured we'd probably get a fine, maybe get a year exclusion uh, when they realized how long we'd been there. We had a saving grace, which was purely that we had left uh, the Shenzhen zone to go to Africa and then come back. But if the person wanted to do the math, they would realize that, you know, we had been over way too long. And there, in front of us, there was this guy, probably in his 60s, with these really hot pink uh, clam digger jeans. <laughs> and uh, and he was with a very young lady. And so the lady went through, no problems. And then this guy goes through with these hot pink pants. And this the customs guard was so preoccupied with this guy's jeans. Like he just, he was getting angry, angrier and angrier with this guy and yelling at him and then looking at his jeans and then yelling at him and then finally let him through. And as we came up, and we were quite nervous, as we came up to, to him, he turned around, opened up our passports, pulled out the stamp, turned around and started, like, talking with his the, his partner in this booth. About these pants, about these I guess. Pants, we're like, guessing. just going on and on and on about these guys' pants. And while he's doing that, he just stamped our passports and let us through without even and looking so- at the dates. And so I credit that guy with the hot pink pants for the reason why we never got an exclusion uh, in Europe. <laughs> so you go through an airport behind Elton John and you have no <laughs> idea who's in front of you because you're so preoccupied with your passport. Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I thank that guy, whoever you are, hot pink clam digger pants yeah. guy. We really appreciate your we help. Do. Yeah. How about some tips for people looking to do what you've done, get out there and, and travel in a big way? What sort of things would you start off telling them? I would say um, just start moving. Make a decision yeah, to move one go. day and just start. 
and don't over plan. Yeah. I, I think things change so rapidly in the yeah. world. Spending too much time planning, I think, is probably, uh, it can just become an exercise in planning. We've met people that have been planning journeys for years and years yes. and years. And it, it's like the stuff that they're, they started with is no longer relevant because mm-hmm. everything's changed. So if you, if you want to do it, uh, you know, just, just start moving. Yeah. And uh, the other thing I would say is spend less on your bike. Uh, less farkles, less gadgets, get what you need and just start moving. Yeah. And again, also, I think the time frame thing, you know, just just go and, and move and don't don't think about the end position, the, you know, getting the A to B. It's just really just taking the time to to move through the experiences as you go. See, I think to a person that hasn't done a lot of traveling, the first thing that's going to pop into their head when I ask that question is what gear you're taking. And you didn't mention gear at all. You're talking about concepts. Yeah. I don't know. The gear is, I think it's sometimes we think, I think gear is sometimes a bit of a crutch. Like, uh, you know, sometimes it's what makes us feel safe. It's the same thing as the house, right? It's like what makes us feel safe on the road. Um, and so, I mean, if that's important, then, then get what you need, but yeah, if it gets you going, fine. I think once you get going, you realize that a lot of the gear you can get while you're underway and then, a lot of the gear that you think you need, you don't need, is the other thing as well. Well, what gear is invaluable, though? What did you take with you that that you know that you would take again and that you wouldn't leave home without? A good toolkit. Yeah, just a, really a basic toolkit that's perfect for your bike, that you know exactly where everything is. So for me, the things that were invaluable, uh, a toolkit was great. Uh, our pots and pans, we had, uh, yeah. for hiking and stuff, we had ultralight aluminum pots and pans and then it before we left i realized that should the stove break down uh and we had to cook on a fire that an ultralight pot and pan set isn't going to work so we went back to the msr alpine 2 alpinist 2 or whatever it's basically just a steel set it's not the lightest thing ever but the thing is bomb proof you can throw it on a fire and cook right in the fire uh gps was great but uh we ended up having to use maps a fair bit, uh, which I love. I love maps. So we did a lot of planning on maps and using GPS to help us stay on track. Um, Leatherman, invaluable. And uh, for security, if you're worried about security, one of the things that we found out on the way was a really strong flashlight is a great way to sort of give yourself some peace of mind, I guess, but we never had to use it for anything. Security, personal security and all that was, there were only a few places where we felt worried about it. Yeah. People generally everywhere we went were amazing. And I think that is, that's kind of one of the truths, I guess, that comes out with travel. So, yeah. So the flashlight, you're worried about dark when you're camping? <laughs> no, or are you so going to hit somebody was, with it? I'm just sort of wondering where you're going no, with this. So it was kind of interesting. Sorry, I guess I should explain the flashlight thing. So the flashlight thing is uh, instead of like, because like, if you read the forums and stuff, like on ADV Rider and all these places, it's like people are like, I got to buy a handgun or I'm going to buy a baton or all these crazy things. And Thanks we ended up talking to a security guy who we just met at a store. And he was like, if I had one recommendation, it would be to take none of those things because they're all going to get you into hot water when you, you can't take them across borders, any of that sort of stuff. But 
like if you were to take like a whatever it is, 1200 lumens flashlight or a powerful flashlight, it blinds people temporarily. So or animals. So his his sales pitch on the flashlights was don't take weapons, take a flashlight. It's useful uh, for finding things in the dark and it's useful for protecting yourself should you need it. Uh, And and so that was that was his pitch. And again, we didn't actually need it, but you, you know, it. it was multi-purpose, and it was something that we could carry on us, and and not, um, you know, you're not going to create a more hostile environment carrying a flashlight. A flashlight. <laughs> yeah. So you know, you pull out anything other than that, and and things can escalate pretty badly. So there's a lot of fear, right, about about travel, like there, whether it's fear of violence in some countries, or whether or here. Or whether it's a fear of breaking down on a long, empty road or, you know, uh, I guess the one thing that I would say is, is all of our fears that we had, and we were, there weren't that many, but they were all pretty baseless once we were on the road. Like, we were prepared for things like breaking down, but, you know, whenever something happened, somebody always ended up showing up to help. And as far as, as people go, like I said, I mean... We just met the most incredible people over and over and over again on the trip. It was fantastic. Yeah. What's life like now that you're back in Calgary? I think we could write a book on returning from a long trip. Yeah, <laughs> and, it would, and it wouldn't be about the trip, would it? It would be about no. coming back home. Yeah, I it's, mean, it's, you know, it's like, okay, so when you first leave on the trip, that first little bit still feels like vacation. And then you really kind of sink into the fact that you are now living on the road. I feel like it's the same thing coming back. It's like you first come back, you're telling the story, you're seeing your family again. You've got quite a bit of time where it's just, um, it's a little bit like a vacation from the trip. And I feel like this is probably the first, I'd say we're a year and a, a little bit in, and this is probably the first time where I'm like, okay, the vacation's over, <laughs> the honeymoon's over, we are just back in this life, this, this part of our life now, and, and uh, we need to decide, yeah, we, we need to, we're kind of back into that, like, next stage, like, let's start thinking about the next journey, and, and, uh, and b- basically just being back into reality, and, and realizing that we have changed, and that um, maybe not everything around us has so, so that's always an interesting thing is like, we are, we are different, um, and understanding how to, to adapt once again to, to a surrounding that hasn't changed that much, you know, and just how to, how to kind of deal with that. I, I think we're lucky to have each other. Uh, we can kind of bounce vibes off of and, and talk things through and stuff like that. How long do you go again? Next year. <laughs> That's never clear. <laughs> um, it's never clear, but at the same time, I don't think we would. I think it wouldn't be about the amount of time that we're going for. Uh, this time, it would be like, let's just go and again get the kind of make the, make the most of it that we can in however long it lasts, um, and not focus so much on let's let's try to travel for three or four years and see how that kind of goes, like. You know, and again, we do still have responsibilities at home with people, with the families and stuff. So I don't know if I would, if I would want to like be continually on the road for that long of a period of time without maybe coming back and making sure that we're, we're still 
letting people in our lives know that we want to be part of their lives. <laughs> So yeah, probably shorter, shorter, more, um, intense runs. Well, the website is we love and Isa, Nita, thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you so much. So much Jim. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it has. And that was Isa and Nita Brabish. And if you'd like to find out more about what they're doing or what they've done, drop by their website, www.motogeo.com. And of course, you can always come by our website and check out the show notes for this episode, www.adventureriderradio.com. Now, coming up for next week, well, at least one of the things we've got going, we've got Zoe Cano talking about her new book, Southern Escapades. You remember Zoe, she's been on this show before. But if you happen to be in London, Zoe's going to be at the International Bike Show, the MCN one, in London and the Adventure Zone, February 12th through 14th. So if you're going to the show, make sure you drop by her booth at A52 and tell her Adventure Rider Radio said hi. And while I'm here, I just want to say thanks to those of you who have donated up till now. And and I encourage you, if you like what we're doing here and you want to keep the show free, you want to keep it going, please think of dropping by the website and giving us a donation. Our model is set up to have uh, advertisements and donations fund the show. So please do what you can. If you like what we're doing, drop by and donate what you can. And you know what? We're going to give you something free if you donate. So go by the website and check it out too because we've got free stickers and free t-shirts. We were selling them. Now that we give them away for free well, with a donation. So drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on Donate. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter, too, at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it can inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's made in the USA, and get this, it has a lifetime warranty, which is brand new. Best Rest also makes tire changing and tire repair kits that are small enough to fit in your saddlebag, and the crew at Best Rest are adventure riders themselves. They know what you need when you're out exploring the world. Visit them at cyclepump.com. That's cyclepump.com. Puget Sound Safety Off-Road, or PSSOR, provides world-class motorcycle training. Learn proper off-road riding techniques from the pros at PSSOR for your dirt bike, dual sport, or large adventure bike, and increase your skill and confidence so you're ready to tackle your next adventure. Visit www.pssor.com. That's www.pssor.com. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. I want to give my special thanks to our co-producer Elizabeth Martin who does most of the work here. I generally just sit and talk. Also to our sponsors for the show because they make it happen or at least they help make it happen and plus you through donations. So special thanks to Max BMW, Best Rest Products, PSSOR, Arrow Stitch and Giant Loop. Make sure anytime you're dealing with any of these companies let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. It's so important that they know where you heard them. 
My name's Jim Martin. Now it's time for you to get out there and ride your bike. No excuses now. I mean, the weather's getting better. We're getting close to spring, even on the coast here. It's raining. Of course, it's been raining all winter. <laughs> See you next week. Okay, I'm Isa. I'm Nita. We're from We, we Love, Love Moto, Moto Geo. Geo. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Ah!